0: So we are in the book of Acts. We kicked this off last week. The book of Acts in our Bible is the fifth book in the New Testament. So we come through the life and ministry of Jesus and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then the book of Acts picks up where Jesus left off. So Jesus began this incredible work of uh, saving souls, of, of granting forgiveness of sins to people, and then the book of Acts picks up with Jesus' apostles, his sent ones, taking and continuing this work and taking the gospel throughout the world. And what we said last week, some of the things that we'll see in the book of Acts, we'll see bold faith We'll see intense opposition to that faith. And then overall, we will see the explosive power of the gospel. So the gospel explodes. The good news of Jesus explodes. The church of Christ expands throughout the globe. And so last week, week one, i would give you a really simple outline. I just want to kind of come back to this for a second because it really, again, sets the stage for everything that we see in the book of Acts. We saw Jesus goes up. So Jesus and the Gospels, the Gospels end with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he reappears to his disciples for 40 days in his resurrected form before he ascends back to heaven. And he spends 40 days with his disciples and he says, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so we see Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down fills believers for the first time and dwells them. The church at this point is born. This is what we've sung about this morning. Uh, We see the gospel goes out. Peter preaches this incredible gospel sermon. The the, the gospel goes out and the disciples, the followers of Jesus, come together. So they're unified around the person, the work, the mission of Jesus. And so this is how the church is born. This brings us really all the way up until today. This This is what we are a part of. And so today's sermon, actually before we get there, one of the last things we saw as we kind of wrapped up last week, as the disciples come together, Acts 2.43, let me read this verse. The disciples come together and it says that all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so throughout the book of Acts, we see like a lot of... A lot of activity, a lot of signs and wonders and miraculous things taking place. And, and this, what we'll see this morning in Acts 3, is a great example, really the first example that we see of these signs and wonders that will come throughout the book of Acts. And so today's sermon is called, I'll Give You What I Have. I'll Give You What I, what I Have. And it's in Acts chapter 3. So let me just take a moment to pray and then we'll open up to Acts chapter 3, all right? Well, God, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for these six who came forward to put their faith on display through baptism. Um, Lord, this is what it's all about. It's about us being exposed to the truth of who you are and what you've done, the goodness of your grace towards us, and us giving our lives to that, to you, and following you in obedience and faith. And so, Lord, thank you for these six this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would teach us. Um, Lord, help us to hear the things that we need to hear. Would you help us to see the things that we need to to see? Would your Holy Spirit be our teacher today? Reveal to us what we need and help us to respond in faith to you today. So Lord, thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Acts chapter 3, I want to read the first 10 verses and then we'll jump in. So Acts chapter 3, verse number 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which means it's about three PM in the afternoon. Verse number two. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, or in other words, he was looking for a handout. Verse number four. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. And you see this kind of progression. So he stands up and and he began to walk. And it says now he's walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so really three things that I want us to see as we kind of work through Acts chapter 3. The very first thing, and I just want to take some time here, is that Peter saw one man in need. Peter saw one man in need. So I want to remind you of what we came out of in chapter 2. Remember the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preaches this incredible message that it says, cut to the heart of those who are listening. And there was this incredible number of people who received the word and were saved and were baptized. Y'all remember the number of people that came to Christ that day? How many? 3000. 3000 people it says came to faith on the day of Pentecost. An amazing amazing miraculous work of God. It was was incredible. And yet, here we are, we turn the corner into this very next scene in Acts chapter 3, and we don't see the crowds, we don't see the 3,000, we see one guy sitting at the temple gate, and this one man is, is helpless. He's actually nameless. We don't even, in the, the store, we never find out this guy's name, which is interesting to me. Uh, I don't have an answer for this, but we have different names that God drops in the scriptures, like Acts 1-1, Theophilus. We hear that name. We don't find anything really out about Theophilus. But here's this amazing story, of this first kind of sign and wonder by the apostles, and we don't even know the guy's name. So he's helpless, he's nameless, and yet here is Peter, who coming into the temple sees this one guy sitting there, and he sees him. He sees him, and and, and I I, I want to pause there because what, what was true was, you know, in verse two, what you saw, it says that this guy was laid at the gate. Did you see how often he was there? Every single day. Daily, they laid him at the gate, and so Peter along with all the other Jews, they would have seen this guy sitting at the gate day after day after day for weeks and weeks, months and months, years and years. However long this guy was there, Peter would have seen this guy many times over. But on this day, he saw him. You know what I'm saying? He he didn't just walk past him. He didn't just see a guy that was begging for a handout. He saw him and he directs his attention to him. It says that he directed his gaze at him. He, he, he said three words to him. He said, look at us. It's kind of like, have you, any of y'all ever said that to one of your kids? Like, hey, right here, <laughs> give me your eyeballs. Look me in the eyes. Y'all, there's something about looking somebody face to face in the eyes, right? There's something about that and on this day, Peter saw this guy laying there and all of his need. And so this just kind of reminds me of, it it brings up this question for me, like, do I see people? Do you see people? There may be people you see every single day or every week or on a regular basis. You may walk into this building every single week and see the same people, but you don't know their name. You don't know what's going on in their life. You just, you see them, but you don't really see them. I'm guessing you know what it's like to to be seen and yet not feel seen, right? And this is this man, for day after day, sitting there. And what I love about Jesus is that, um, you know, I, I believe that when you read through the Gospels, when you see the life of Jesus, this is one thing that I just I know to be true about Jesus, that Jesus didn't just walk past people and see, like, a mass of people. He had compassion for the multitudes. But I don't believe there was one person that Jesus walked by without stopping and looking at them and going, hmm, this is somebody. This is a human being that was created by my father created in his image with worth and value. Like Jesus didn't look over people. He saw people, he saw them for who they were and for all that God created them to be. And in this moment, Peter, for whatever reason, man, he stops and he sees this man. And this just reminds me, and maybe some of you, you need to hear this for the first time that the Lord sees you. He doesn't just look over you. He doesn't just see the outward you. He sees you to the very core. And Jesus, I want to I show you one example of where Jesus did this. John chapter five, verses one through six, it says this, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. It goes on in verse number four and some translations actually don't include this in in, in the New Testament. But what we see here is the reason why there was this multitude of of disabled people, people needing healing. The reason they were gathered around this pool because there was an angel of the Lord who would stir up the waters and whoever was first into that pool would be healed. It kind of sounds like a cruel joke in some ways to me like well if you're first in you get dibs on being healed but so like for day after day after day like people would gather around this pool and here is this man who who he's he's part of the multitude now look at verse number five it says this one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time he said to him and I'm assuming he looked into his eyes and he said, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And so here, again, multitudes, it says, were gathered around this pool. And here comes Jesus and he sees the multitudes and the Bible tells us that he had compassion on the multitudes and they're all in need of healing. And what did Jesus do? He he didn't preach a sermon. He didn't say, hey, all of you be healed, like boom, right? He looked at this one man, This one man, he looked him in the eyes and he said, do you want to be healed? And I just love this reminder because sometimes we think, we sit in, you know, these large groups or we sit in a building with with many, many other people and we think we're just part of the crowd. And I just want us to be reminded this morning that Jesus sees you. He sees you right where you're at. Even in your seat this morning, he sees you. He knows you. He doesn't overlook you. And so Peter saw this one man in need. But then I, I kind of want to move on with this story. What the beggar wanted was not what he needed. What the beggar wanted was not what he needed. So Peter saw this man in need. It says that he was lame, which means that he was he was disabled. He was crippled. He was... They're begging for alms, which means he was, he was looking for a handout. He was asking for physical provision. And so here comes Peter. Peter, in, in seeing him, he saw not just his physical need. He saw the deeper need. He saw exactly what he needed be, be, beneath the surface. And it says that the beggar, it literally says he was expecting to receive something from, from them. He was begging for alms he was expecting to receive something from them i i heard about the the witty old preacher who he said the crippled beggar asked for alms and he got legs um, get it again get it. that's a dad joke right i love that we can put everything under the umbrella of dad jokes and it's no matter how bad it is it just works uh, he asked for alms he got legs he, but here's the truth here is the truth What we ask for sometimes, what we long for, what we even maybe beg God for or hope for in our hearts, what we want is not always what we need, right? What we want is not always what we need. This beggar was there, he was asking for money, right? He was looking for a handout, but he needed more than money. You might say, well, he needed healing. He was, he was disabled. He needed to be healed. He needed more than healing. What he needed was Christ. What he needed was Christ. I love this quote from William Sanford Lesore. He said this, it is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. I've heard it said this way. Our job as the church is not to, is not to make people more comfortable on their way to hell. It's to meet their deepest need. Now listen, I'm all for mercy ministry and serving people's physical needs. But listen, we cannot serve physical needs and totally overlook the deepest need of all, which is the need for Christ. The need for Christ. This was this man's deepest need. He needed more than money. He needed more than food. He needed more than healing. He needed Jesus Christ. Christ. And this is what he got. This is what Peter gave him. And so, you know what? If you have everything that you want in life, but you don't have Jesus, can I just tell you this morning that you are empty? You are empty. You are lacking the one thing that you need most. You need Jesus. Only Christ can fill you. Everything else. And I know you've discovered this. Everything else in your life will leave you wanting. Even the best things in life, as good as they are, will leave you wanting. I think of the song we sing called uh, Honey in the Rock. Only you can satisfy. He is the only one that can fill you. And Peter, though he did not have much to give. He didn't have silver. He didn't have gold. But what he had to give this beggar was exactly what he needed. Everything that he had was all that he needed, everything that he had was all that this man needed. And so let me remind you this morning, if you have Jesus, if you have Christ, you have all that you need. Amen? If you have Jesus, you have all that you need. And let me remind you, if you have Jesus, you have all that others need. You have Christ. And so what the beggar wanted was not what he needed. And, and, and I, I take the time to talk about this because the people that we talk to, the people that we love, maybe it's a husband or wife, a friend or neighbor, a son or a daughter, a coworker, a, a classmate, the things that we want aren't always the things that we need and that was the case for this beggar. But here's, here's how Peter responded to him. Here's the third thing. Peter ministered to him in word and deed. He ministered to him in word and in deed. So a word is something that you say or something that you speak. A deed is something that you do, right? So words and actions, word and deed. And throughout Acts, we see this clearly that gospel ministry is both word and deed. Both word and deed. So throughout the book, we see all kinds of, of signs and wonders, the miraculous taking place. But those miraculous things that happen, those signs and those wonders, those healings, they always, always, always validate or confirm the word. Those deeds confirm the words. In other words, there's no wonders without the word. The wonders make way for the word to go forth. And, so in other words, Peter in this moment, he and we haven't, we haven't seen the rest of the story in Acts three, but he didn't just come and heal the guy and then like go about his business. He didn't heal him and just go into the temple to worship. No, Peter launches into sermon number two here in Acts chapter three, and he, he proclaims the gospel. And this is the important thing. It's, it's as if the wonder opens people up to like wonder. Like, where did that come from? What is is that all about? They see something amazing, they're astonished, and then they ask questions like, what is this all about? And so deeds open the door for words. Deeds produce amazement, but the word produces repentance. So miracles, let me talk about miracles for for a minute, because as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see like one after the other, miracle, miracle, miracle. Like what is the purpose of miracles? Let me say it this way. It it wasn't just to, to heal and make people feel better. Miracles really did a couple things. Number one, miracles proved the power of God. They prove the power of God. So take someone who, who can't walk and you heal him. All of a sudden he's leaping and, and walking and praising God. Like that is miraculous. Only something or someone powerful could do that. So miracles prove the power of God. And then number two, it also provided a foretaste of, of heaven. So you know, when we think of what things will be like the book of Revelation says when you're in heaven, heaven there, will be, um, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sin. There's going to be no need to heal broken ankles and feet like we see in Acts 3 because everyone will be whole and, and, and restored. And so all of these miracles, it's not as if it's working against the laws of nature. It's actually going back to the way that things were intended to be whole and without brokenness it reverses the curse and so miracles prove the power of God they provide a foretaste of heaven but miracles are never the end miracles are never the end game they're a means to the end miracles were made to make miracles happen to make way for the gospel to go out for the gospel to go forward because here's the deal deeds open the door for words. When you see something amazing happen, it makes you go, what in the world? It makes you ask questions to which there is only one answer, and the answer is what? Jesus, right? So we had men's Bible study this past Thursday at 6 a.m., and I know some of you have a question did anybody show up at 6 a.m.? I have the same question every single Thursday. Is anybody gonna show up for this? Uh, I'm proud to report that we had 15 men who showed up, the most we've ever had at a men's group since I've been here, uh, which is amazing. Kudos to all those men who showed up at at 6 a.m. I heard questions People drove by at 6 a.m. and saw, like, what is, why is the parking lot? Like, that is something miraculous, right, for 15 men to be awake at 6 a.m. Uh, digging into the Bible together. Uh, but one of our guys there, Sean, uh, we were talking about uh, our gospel witness and sharing our faith with others. And, and I love what he talked about. He talked about um, our need to walk in truth. So, like walking in truth, this being part of our gospel witness—that like we have to live in the truth, and we have to, to exhibit uh, Christ in the way that we live in our in our deeds. Uh, and I love that, and we and we talk through this, and and I agree because people need to see the gospel in action. This is deeds, but they also need to hear the gospel in order to repent and put their faith in Christ. And so, gospel ministry is always word and deed hand in hand, together. People need to see the gospel in action and they need to hear the gospel in words. And when you look through the gospels, you see Jesus had a ministry of, of word and deed. He didn't just heal people or raise the dead or do miraculous things just to make people's lives better. He did it to open the door for them to hear the truth of the gospel, of their real deepest need for him. We see that in the life of Jesus, we see that in the life of Paul, that he had a ministry of word and deed. In fact, as you come into the book of Colossians, we see that this is to be our ministry as well. There's a verse that we may have referenced, I don't know, one or two times last year, Colossians 3, verse 17, y'all remember this? It says, whatever you do in what? Word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our ministry is to be not just talking, not just doing, but word and deed together. We need to see, we need to put the gospel on the display for people to see, but man, we've got to speak the truth of the gospel. And so, what you see in Acts chapter 3, you see this amazing deed from Peter who heals this lame beggar uh, at the temple gate. And, and let, let me just like, insert this in here because this, these questions will come throughout this book as we see these miracles and these miraculous things happen. Um, This is one of those points, again, in the church where there's disagreement, where many, many good Christians and leaders and pastors disagree on this about the, the nature of these kind of miraculous sign gifts. We would be a church, I would be a pastor who would say, I believe that God gave these specific miraculous gifts for a time and a purpose to validate the word and they're not necessarily in operation today. But I would also make sure I say this, that I still believe that God does miracles. I still believe that God heals. I still believe that God does things that we can't explain um, in human terms, that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to, and he can use whoever to do that. I I absolutely believe that. I was thinking that this morning. I was like, uh, if I didn't believe that, we shouldn't be singing about half the songs that we were singing this morning. You know what I'm saying? I believe that God still heals Uh, so with that being said here here's the miraculous deed in the first part of the chapter and then we move into to to the word so peter proclaims this message and and i just want to read a few verses here Uh, i don't want to read the whole thing but but man we cannot miss this sermon by by peter Uh, and so i want us to hear verses 11 through 20. So after he heals this this man, it says in verse 11, when he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Okay, so you see the deed is opening the door for the word. Everyone's amazed and astonished, and they're like, What in the world just happened? What is this all about? And Peter, like a good pastor, man, he seizes the moment. He seizes this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So Peter saw, it. he addressed the people, and he said, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? No, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. Again, speaking of Christ, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Talking about Barabbas, verse 15. And you killed the author of life other translations call Jesus here the, the, the prince of life or the source of life. You killed Christ, the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Everything that you've heard for generations from the prophets has been fulfilled in this one Christ. Verse 19, Repent therefore. And turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. And He goes on, we won't read the rest of that, but this is an amazing sermon, man. Peter knew how to bring. The word, And again, what he did, that healing, opened the door for him to preach the gospel, for him to present the truth of the gospel. Now, I just want to take just a couple minutes, because I think this is a good lesson for us here, because as Peter preaches, he preaches, man, he preaches a gospel-centered sermon. So three marks that I just want us to see. these are marks that you can use to, like grade my preaching or any person's preaching, there, there may come a point where you're not uh, under the ministry of Friendship Baptist Church and you need to determine if a, a sermon is gospel-centered, if it's biblical. So let me give you quick, three quick things that Peter does here. Number one, here's the first mark. It's not focused primarily on you or me. It's not focused primarily on you or me. It's not, hey, look at me. It's not even, hey, look at you. Okay, so some preaching could be like, hey, you are a terrible, no good sinner. And then there's a preaching that could say, well, you, you are the best. <laughs> you are the best thing alive. There, and, and, it, gospel-centered preaching is not primarily about you or me. What you see in verse number 12 is that, that Peter starts out this way. He says, hey, what are you looking at? Why are you staring at us as if? as if we were the ones that had the power or the piety. In other words, the the godliness or the holiness. Like there's something special about us that we made this man walk. Like, are you seeing Peter from the very start? What are you, why are you staring at us? This isn't about us. This isn't about me or my power or my piety. Here is the reality is that when something incredible happens, when something amazing spiritually takes place or you Extend extravagant kindness or generosity or grace towards somebody. Listen, people will stare at you and look at you and go, what in the world? And you have an opportunity in those moments when you perform a deed that it reflects the gracious kindness of God. You have an opportunity to either absorb and receive that compliment, those stares, you could, you could respond by saying, well, you know, I was just raised that way, or whatever the case. Or you could do what Peter did, which is deflect. Deflect the glory to God. In other words, oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's only Jesus in me. This is not about me. This is what Peter was doing here. It's not primarily about you or me. And so when people stare, when people look at you, uh, listen. People are going to, I'm telling you, I believe that God's going to do some amazing things in this church this year. I believe God's going to do some amazing things through you. And when people look on, and people look on in astonishment, in amazement at changed lives, people are going to stare. And I'm telling you, right now, that will be the opportunity for us to go, why are you looking at us? It's not about us. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. And I'm hearing no amens in this room right now, y'all. Listen, when those things happen and when those things come, there will be a temptation for us as a church, for me as a pastor, to go, Yes, look at what's happening here. Look at what we are doing. And those are the moments where we could say, Don't stare at us, because there's nothing special or powerful or holy about us. It is about Jesus amen it's not primarily about us and this flows right into number two mark number two it points to not us but christ it points to christ what you see peter do here he says why are you staring at us and he immediately begins to clarify who he's talking about that did this that has the power to make the lame walk he says the god of abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He is very clearly speaking to this God whom they know and have heard about for generations. I feel like there's a lot of things I've watched lately on, you know, on TV, Netflix, or whatever, where there's like comments like a generic reference to God. And like it's quickly followed up. I don't know why this is just what, for whatever reason, stuff I'm watching lately, which I probably need to change, um, but there's like something generically said about God, and it's the, it's followed up by like she did this or she said this, and I was like, that's weird. It's just like the God of our own like imagination or the God of our own um, creation. Um, Peter was very clear. This isn't some just generic God out of all the gods. He says no, the God of Jacob. The God, of, or the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, the God of your fathers. And he goes on to say that this is the God who um, glorified our, his servant, Jesus. He goes on even further to, to, to refer to him as the author of, of life. And throughout this passage, man, he keeps pointing back to Christ and the power of God. He says that he has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to, to heal the lame. Verse number 19, I don't know if you caught this, He said that he has the power to blot out your sins. Can I just pause here for a second? Because this is amazing. The power that God has to blot out our sins. So there's this this amazing word picture here. So, I want you to imagine like a whiteboard. So we, I have this infatuation with uh, glass whiteboards. They're like filling up our building in different rooms. In my office, it started with this eight foot by four foot like gigantic uh, glass whiteboard. So I use that all the time, writing stuff on there. Um, just imagine you took a, a, a eight by four, eight foot by four foot glass whiteboard and you began to with, with a marker mark out every single sin from the moment you were born until this moment and you were to write out every sinful thought every sinful word you've spoken even under your breath every action like if you were to list out every single sin how many whiteboards y'all think that would fill up i would say mile after mile after mile right Depends on how old you are, how many miles worth of whiteboards. But this this imagery to blot out our sins has this, this it's a word picture. It's as if Jesus came into the room with this whiteboard like covered in every single sinful thought and word and deed, and he erased it. Every last one of it until that whiteboard was completely clean. He blots out. Every single one of our sins through what Jesus has done on the cross. Y'all, that is power that you and I could never, ever hold or wield. It's the power of God. And this is what he points to. He has power to raise the dead, power to heal the lame, power to blot out your sins. Uh, He he goes on to say in verse 26, power to turn you from your your wickedness. And and I don't want to spend time here. I'm going to put this on the screen and it's in our digital bulletin and sermon notes. Five sermons or speeches by Peter throughout the book of Acts and every single one of them. He always, always, always references the death and the resurrection of Jesus he always points to the gospel, the person and the work of Christ, the real power, the, 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 the thing that is, is the ultimate message that he's preaching. It's all about Christ. And so he points to Christ every single time. And so a gospel-centered sermon isn't about you or me. It's pointing to Christ. Here's the third and final thing. A gospel-centered sermon calls the hearers to repentance. And, and I just want to take a, a little time out here. It, A gospel-centered sermon calls the hearers to repentance. Verse 19, we just saw it a second ago, but he came to the end of this this sermon and he said, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. He, He ends the whole thing, verse 26. He says, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness, he's talking about repentance here. Now, when I hear the word repent, I think of my mind. I, I don't know. I automatically go to like the street corner preacher who's like maybe standing up on a soapbox, who has a megaphone, who's like screaming at you, like turn or burn, right? He's he's yelling repent, right? So we hear this kind of when we hear the word repent, we hear it as this like this damning statement that's that's very harsh, that's not full of love and grace. But y'all, do you understand like the beauty of this word repent, the beauty of this word repentance? It's an invitation to turn. It's an invitation to turn from our wickedness, to turn from our sin, to turn from our own way of trying to figure things out and doing things our own way. It's an invitation to turn away from that and as verse number 19 says, to turn back to the Lord. To turn our hearts and our attention. To turn our feet in his direction. It is this gracious invitation for us to stop going the way that we're going. That's leading us astray. That's leading us to death. And to turn towards this author, this source, this prince of life. It is a gracious invitation. Invitation. It is the invitation of the gospel. And y'all listen, every, every moment that you have breath in your lungs is an invitation from the God of the universe to turn towards him, to turn back towards him, to repent. Listen, it's not a bad term. It's not an ugly term. It's a beautiful, gracious gospel term that God would so graciously look at us and all of our mess, whatever it is, and say, hey, would you turn to me? I'm here waiting for you. This is repentance. And if there's any conviction on my part in walking through these three marks of a gospel-centered sermon, it's, it's this one. It's this one, feeling like maybe I don't, I don't talk about repentance enough. Because the reality is, even if we talked about repentance every single Sunday, we're still not talking about repentance enough. Repentance is beautiful. It is a way of life for us. In fact, Martin Luther, I just want to read this quote from him. He, Martin Luther famously began what was known as the Protestant Reformation. He, he nailed what is called the 95 Thesis to the, the castle door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And the very first thing it said on it was this, Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of what? repentance our entire lives repent isn't just a one-time thing turning from our sin repentance should be the rhythm of our life because honestly if we're all being honest like we could we could and should and ought to be repenting every single day and turning from our own way and turning back to the gracious loving kindness of our father and so Peter he saw one man in need what the beggar wanted was not what he needed, and the way that Peter ministered to him was in word and in deed. He, he did something miraculous, something wonderful, but he followed it up with, with a word, with the truth of the gospel. And so let me just, let me just close with a couple quick thoughts here on like, how do we live in light of this? How do we apply this to us? And I want to bring back an old phrase that I introduced back in 2019. Who's your one? who is your one we are in the year of of mission and our desire as a church is to not just grow deeper in the gospel and the truth of who jesus is and what he's done but we want to go wide with the truth of the gospel we want we want to see many many people come to faith in jesus amen this is what we want to see but you don't have to reach everyone You don't have to reach 10 people. You don't have to reach 100 people. But what if you could reach one person? What if you could be the instrument, the vessel that God would use to reach one person? Maybe it's a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, a stranger, somebody that doesn't know Jesus. What if you could be used to reach one person? I wanna encourage you to to pray and ask God, God, who's my one? Maybe it's somebody that you see every single day or every single week and you see them, but you don't see them. They're laying along your path and you pass over them, you look over them every single day, and God is saying, "Mm, I put this person in your path for a purpose and I wanna use you to reach this person who is your one? That's what I want to I encourage us to be looking for and praying for. God, who is, who is my one? Because here's what I believe. I believe that we will reach many if, if we don't miss out on the one. If you don't miss the one that God wants for you to reach. And so who is your one? Here's just a second and final thought for us to apply what we've heard this morning and what we see in Acts chapter 3. I just want to encourage you uh, and I want to cheer you on in living on mission, in word and in deed. Live on mission, in word and deed. Some of us get freaked out about the thought of speaking about the gospel to someone, like we're nervous to actually share the word. God has called us to do that. Uh, He hasn't called us to have all the answers. He's called us to respond to people with words that point to Jesus, but he's also calling us to live on mission in in deed as well, in the things that we do, in our actions. And so let's serve people, let's bless people but let's not neglect their deepest need. We need to speak the word of Christ to people. And so I wanna ask you all to stand with me and I want you to bow your heads. Can we just end in a time of prayer and just bow your heads right where you're at this morning? I just wanna ask you to take a moment with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, a moment between you and the Lord. And maybe this morning, you need to come before him with repentance. Maybe you just need to say, God, I'm sorry that I've wandered away. God, I'm sorry that I've been going my own direction, away from you. God, this morning, I wanna turn back to you. Thank you for your grace that invites me to come back. Maybe it's unconfessed sin from yesterday or this week that you've been harboring or holding on to. Or maybe you've been holding on to it for weeks. And this morning you hear the still small voice of God say, let go of that. Would you turn away from your bitterness? Would you turn away from your anger? Would you turn away from your sin? Would you turn back towards me? I want to blot out all of your sin. Maybe for the first time in your life, maybe you've never turned your heart and your eyes towards Christ. Maybe this morning you hear his voice calling out to you. I love you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to bless you. I want to use you. Maybe today for the first time you need to respond in repentance. Just crying out to God. Maybe... In this moment, maybe you just need to pray about your one. God, who is the one that you want me to reach? Who is that one that I'm not seeing that you see? Who do you want me to direct my gaze toward? God, would you use me to live on mission in that one person's life, in word and in deed? Help me to have the boldness. Help me to have the courage. thank you for your grace this morning thank you that you are a god that invites us to repent to turn from our wickedness to turn from our way and to turn back towards you you are the author of life you are the one in whom we find life and so god would you turn us to you this morning would you turn our hearts towards you Lord, would you use us as a church for every person in this room? God, would you help us to live on mission this year in word and in deed? May people see the grace of God through our our actions and may they hear about the grace of God through our lips, through our words. May you use us. May you bring many, many people to Christ this year. Would you use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.